I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up and welcome back to the Barton and Bud Show, uh, your weekly update on all things college football, college football recruiting, NFL draft, everything else we can find, maybe a little coronavirus mixed in. Uh, and this week we got a lot going on, Bud, the 24-7 sports. We've got uh, new rankings uh, coming out uh, the day after this recording. Uh, we've got all the, the companies that we're, we're working on um, uh Position U series um, that we'll talk about today. We've got a lot of recruiting scoop that we can kind of bring to you, uh, so you can consume it from a from a macro perspective. Uh, other than that, Bud, just uh, just just another day at the office. How, how are things going down there in Florida? Going well, man. We're, we're, the, the heat is finally here. Yesterday we had about ninety four, so you know it was it, it was solid. Took my son on a walk on, on the trail. It's got a lot of trees and a little shade. And it's it's been good. I'm just. I'm I'm happy that we still have content to write about. Like I I'm kind of the idea guy, and so far we're not doing stuff like you know let let's draft our favorite ice cream bar or anything any of that kind of nonsense. Like I'm not saying we won't ever have to do that. I mean if 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 we don't have have a football season come October, I mean I'm gonna want to know like what Barton's favorite Sunday toppings are on his ice cream. But man, you no, know, it it seems like the last couple of days there's been a little bit of positive positivity yeah. on the football front in terms of just getting it played. You know some. Schools are going to get some kids back on campus to work out in June. It sounds like it sounds like schools are going to try to be in session in the fall in a lot of places. But hey, it might not be everywhere. Pac-12 might be a little different story out there. Uh, so I'm I'm optimistic that at least we won't have to get into the candy bar drafts. Yeah, I, I was talking to Marcelo yesterday, Brendan Marcelo, our colleague, and I was like, all right, do you, what do you think the breaking point is? Right, like. If the SEC is ready to go September 1 and the other conferences are like, hey, will you wait on this till October 1? My guess is they probably would. If it's just the Pac-12 out there straggling, I think they're going to be like, peace out, Pac-12, right? Like, they're, you know, if, if you got four of the five P5s, uh, I, I don't think they're waiting. My theory right now is like you're going to have a postseason that is a, whatever, a, an 11-0 and conference champion Ohio State playing a 9-0 and conference champion Alabama or something you know just the schedules are just everyone's gonna just get in what they can and it's just gonna be a, a, a year where things aren't neat and tidy and hey I mean that's college football in a nutshell anyways in a lot of ways and so I think there might be some dips maybe there's a you take some time off in, in November, December. Maybe the national championship game is played in February. I, I don't know. But I, I think it could just be all over the place. But I think games in some form or fashion will at least get on the field. I, I do too. And if we have to go back to like a voting system, you know, like that, that's basically what college ball was for most of our lives, man. I mean, I, the BCS came, came about as a result of things like BYU winning the national title after winning the Holiday Bowl, you know, and – Washington and, and Georgia Tech's or Colorado splitting, right? Like, or was it? I forgot who split. It was it Georgia Tech, Colorado, and then Washington, Miami back in the early nineties, late eighties. So, I don't so, know something that like that. So long ago, there's a bunch of. <laughs> it yeah. was a mess. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And now, and we we cleaned it up a little bit. We're getting closer to having the rights, you know, the right format that everyone's happy with. But hey, this might be the year that it's it's back to the debates. And we can exactly. Uh, by the way, shout out to our listeners, 289 ratings. And, uh, man, we dipped from that 5.0 perfect. I think somebody hit us with a one-star, probably hashtag hater. But still, 289 ratings is pretty good. Enjoyed the last listener mailbag show. And uh, now we're on the pace for 300 here. If we get 300, we might do a mailbag if they're good ones. You know, If not, we might wait to 350. Just let us know. You can drop your questions there in those Apple Podcast ratings or if you're a Spotify person. Uh, can't drop any questions there, but you can certainly subscribe 
on Spotify. Uh, and a quick little rundown here, an update on something I've been tracking. By the time you listen to this, we will be at 800 commits right now. Uh, last year at this time, about 350. So more than double the, the normal pace. And a lot of these are kids who have never visited the school, have never met these coaches in person. And uh, it's going to be for an interesting, interesting fall. That's, that's what I'm going to say about that. Yeah, it's uh, assu- like that is assuming, and I am assuming, and you are assuming, we are assuming that kids will once again be able to visit schools and, yes. and get on the road and explore the recruiting process once again. Because look, if, if things are locked down from now until February, then yeah, these 800 commits are probably all going to stick. But if Iowa, guys, top 10 class, baby. That's right. But if, uh, you know, if, if the... If the, what is it, the green flag goes down, um, then I think that that means that suddenly guys are going to take visits, guys are going to have different information to analyze, and guys are going to make some decommits on a lot of them. So that, that should be wild. And some coaches are going to get out there when they visit those high schools and be like, ooh, oh man, yep. this 6'2 this is like 5'11. Uh, that too. Hmm. <laughs> okay. That too. Oh, man. So let, let's get into this yeah. position you thing, Barton. It, it, it's something I, I was, you know, really excited. You, you you took the lead on this and 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 cranked these out and, and really owned this whole series. You, you interviewed coaches for it as as well. I I liked how how we've been creative, uh, and and this was your brainchild here on doing deep dives. Uh, the the month of May, uh, we, we've done defense for for uh, for June. We'll be doing offense. Probably not that hard to guess there. Uh, this this is this is fun, man. So you went and you took. Uh, results over the last five years, right? And you said, okay, who's done the best job of recruiting and developing and putting guys into the draft? We, we use the draft as our objective measure of of talent uh, because obviously like sports writers who are only at one college ball game a week don't always do the best job of voting on things for like all America teams. So we use the draft. And I, I just kind of want to want to pick your brain on some of this stuff before we jump into the positions why five years? And then did you have any difficulties in saying, hey, the numbers say this, and I'm and this school is obviously going to be awarded, but now like this coaching staff is over here, right? Like, did you think about maybe doing coaching staffs or coaching combinations instead of the schools? How did you arrive at, at schools? So first of all, I was very hesitant, if not reluctant, to call this a position you series because position you is such a arbitrary subjective debate that could mean whatever you want it to mean it could mean who's getting drafted it could mean who's who's winning awards in college it could mean who's doing well in the NFL and and but but big the bigger issue for me was like Florida State if you know they're gonna they're gonna claim position you and they're gonna claim Deion Sanders and Jalen Ramsey and whoever else and Yet the reality is those guys, like, I don't know, maybe Taylor Ramsey fits in the last five years. I can't remember how long he's been in the league. But, like, Deion Sanders is, is, a very, like, pr- is a very present in any DBU conversation. But Deion Sanders, in, in terms of today, is not all that relevant. Because, what, what, like, the goal of this is to find out who is – because, as you mentioned, it plays along with our whole – series of digging into these positions. I wanted to see who's doing a good job of evaluating and developing right now. I want to see which programs are finding these guys and which programs are putting these guys in the league. And then once they're in the league, like the rest of our rankings, I don't really care that much. It's about getting these guys drafted. And so, you know, if, if Miami's got a bunch of first round NFL draft picks in the early 2000s, that's great for Miami's pedigree, but it doesn't do a whole lot for validating Miami's current coaching staff, Miami's current process. And so, that's why I limited it to five years. That's a fairly arbitrary number. It's just a clean whole number. It gets past, you know, four cycles, which is, you know, you know, one, one college career uh, gets you to five. And then, you know, again, it's typically uh, at least incorporates some level of development with the current staff. Uh, but you're right because, and especially as we go through this, like Florida is a great example. I mean, Florida was very present in all these defensive breakdowns. But when you look at the guys who were evaluators on these Florida staffs, it was Will Muschamp, it was Dan Quinn, it was DJ Durkin, it was Tavares Robinson, it was 
all these guys that are in the NFL or have coaching jobs or elsewhere, and they sort of left these guys. And look, the whether it's Jim McElwain or, or maybe to a degree Dan Mullen, they deserve some credit too for the development, but you don't know. It's hard to say where to draw the line from credit for the development, credit for the production, credit for the evaluation. So look, at some point I just had to call it and just say, look, we're going to do five years. We're going to do purely based on the NFL draft and where they're picked and then how many were picked and at what level. And we're going to let the numbers tell the story and then we can, we can parse it out however way we want. And we'll do a little bit of that now as we start going through this, we'll, we'll kind of, I'll try to sort of uh, clarify like where some strengths and directions go and, and how much should be attributed to old staffs or new staffs. But that's sort of the fun of it. Like the data is there. Here's the data. Now, now tell, you know, figure out what you think about it. Absolutely. And, and with these, I also want to ask you like going into this, who was with each of these, who was a school that you thought, Oh, they'll definitely be on the list. But then when you dug into the data, they weren't. And let's figure out, okay, why? Like, is it because their guys were really good in sort of that like 14 to 16 range, but not last five years? Or is it because they have some guys who are studs in college now, but they have, you know, they haven't got drafted yet. I, I think that'll be interesting to think about too, because we will see a lot of arguing about this on the message boards, as I'm sure you might've been tagged in, in, in a few, uh, a few really constructive criticism uh, responses <laughs> here. So linebacker, you starts at the top, man, L- LSU hit us with, with, with how, how has LSU done this? Yeah, so I think the thing with LSU that that I found interesting was they've been like we talk a lot about the the evolution of the linebacker position and how a linebacker today looks different than a linebacker of even even just you know five years is sort of a good good spot to to start this conversation at. Um, but like you know a, a a 2010 linebacker and what you want and what you're trying to defend is different than a 2020 linebacker and what you want, and what you're trying to defend and the way you should evaluate them is different. And LSU in some ways is very modern in terms of the guys they produce, but a couple of these guys are real old school too. You know, like Jacob Phillips, uh, third rounder, I think is a true, like kind of a, kind of, kind of an old school, Mike, um, you know, Kendall Beckwith the same way actually sort of moved back from defensive end in high school in a lot of ways. And, is, is one of these bigger bodied guys that you see it, you know, in an old LSU three, four or in an old Alabama three, four, you know, to, to, to take on lead blockers and that kind of thing. But then they've got a couple of these, like, you know, Deion Jones is a great example of one of these early, really athletic guys, undersized, developed into a big time player. Um, and then Patrick Queen is the most recent one who was an athlete in high school, ranked as an athlete, 200 pound kid, six one, two hundred, and just developed into this stud. And then you got Devin White, who is a, just a freak of nature, who was a 265-pound kid that ran a sub-11 second 100-meter dash in high school. And so it actually jumped over from, from running back uh, in high school. But I just thought LSU – and look, it's uh, – you know, they've been a, a – and, and, and all these guys, and I think interestingly enough, you know, we're not even – for linebacker, to, to clarify, we're not including like Caleb on chasing. We're not including – the edge rushers in that Dave Aranda defense, these are just the true off the ball linebackers. And for them to, to, to be at number one, I think is, is a pretty strong testament for that to them and, and probably a pretty good, pretty good testament to, you know, Dave Aranda, his ability to, to put together a defense that, you know, allows those guys to make plays. It's interesting to you bring up, you bring up Aranda, who, who's now the, the coach at Baylor. Is he the guy you give the most credit for this? Cause when, when I think LSU, I, I don't think linebackers, right? I, I, I traditionally think like, you know, pass rushers. I, I occasionally think D tackles going back to their like Glenn Dorsey teams. Uh, and I definitely think DBs, but to see them at top of the linebacker board, it, is there one specific linebacker coach there that you think maybe underrated from this? Somebody you came away with having kind of newfound respect for? Well, Dave, I mean, I think Dave Aranda d- does deserve probably a lot of credit for it. I, I'm pretty sure he's been coaching their middle linebackers yeah. as, as as he's been the defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, and he obviously he put together good, you know, good linebacker groups when he was at Wisconsin. Um, you know, I mean, he's just sort of he's been he's he, I mean, he's he's a, obviously a really good coach. They paid him two and a half million dollars a year at LSU. So uh, <laughs> there's that. But I think he's he's probably the guy you point to. But you're right. And in fact, it, at edge because I kind of envisioned LSU having a bunch of edge guys drafted too. They really only have, I think two guys that have gotten drafted the last five years at edge. Um, Caleb on chasing 
this year, and then I'm I'm forgetting who the other one would have been. Is it Mingo? No, he's before. He's, he's he was before. Okay. Yeah, he's 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 a while back. But so I can't remember what the other one was. It's someone. You know, I'm I'm kick myself for missing it. But but uh but yeah. I mean, oh, uh, Arden Key, probably. Yeah, I think that's right. So so yeah, I was a little surprised the LSU number one at, at, at off ball linebacker to be honest with you. Um, and uh, and surprised they 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 didn't show up on the D, on the edge group. That's that's really interesting. So uh, at number two. You have Ohio State, and, and this gets into something that we love as evaluators. How, look how many of these guys play different positions other than linebacker in high school. Yeah, yeah. Malik Harrison played quarterback, wide receiver, running back, linebacker, safety. Jerome Baker played both sides of the ball. I think he was like an 1,100-yard rusher or something at running back as a senior. Uh, Darren Lee played safety and quarterback. Um, you know, Josh Perry and Raekwon McMillan are a little more of the traditional types, but – I think this speaks to Ohio State being on the front end of being able to find really good, like, uh, like understanding the, the direction of the position. And this, this, I think, goes for a lot of their positions. And, Frank, and by the way, Ohio State may be the most impressive, like just showing across the board on defense of, of any program, like near the top in every category. Uh, just a, a pretty – unbelievable job there by, by that staff. Um, but again, not all these Ohio state guys were no brand. Like not all these Ohio state guys were like 120 tackle guys that are lining up at Mike in high school. Like Ohio state did a really good job of projecting, identifying athleticism, identifying the ability to add weight and, and evolve and, and produce these guys at a really high level. That's that's really impressive. And Ohio State's another team that I, I do kind of think about. And to me, they're a little more traditionally good linebacker team uh, than, than LSU in my mind. Maybe it's just a mental block that I have. I, I don't think linebacker in the LSU, but now I do. Uh, with, with Ohio State, they're another school that I think DB. And mm-hmm. you know, I know we'll talk about that in a second. Um, another thing that sticks out to me looking at this list, and we'll have a couple more SEC teams on here, is that that volume really mattered here with, with, with the scoring system? You know, you gave seven points for a first rounder, six for a second, five for a third, four for a, a, a fourth. Obviously, three, two, one, uh, all, all the way down to the, you know seventh round. Um, so it, this really does reward schools that have put a lot of guys in the NFL. Like you don't have any examples of here where it's just like, hey, this school put one first rounder in, and then they have two seventh rounders. So we're, we're not right. really we're, we're not rewarding. Hey, you you recruited one complete like mega stud, and then had two other seventh rounders, and, and you get on the list. For the most part, like these schools are, are producing really good volume. Yeah, yeah, and and I think like to that point, like you could you could really kind of get lucky on a on a first round talent. Just get them. You got a first round talent, and that doesn't make you a, a hotbed for linebackers or any position. Like the, you really need to be able to show consistency producing in in the early rounds and so that that's where the you know, schools we're talking about are those um you know i thought that alabama was an interesting one too because that that's, that's probably a school you think of as linebacker you and yeah. again i didn't include the edge guys so you know don't don't get upset when you don't hear you know some of these traditional edge rushers come off the board but What's what I found really interesting about Alabama. So the guys that you know you're talking about with Bama is Rashawn Evans, Reuben Foster, Reggie Ragland, Mac Wilson, Sean Deion Hamilton. Think about that group, and think about the way they play. Think about the body types, and think about how old school that group is. And then I, I sort of fast forward and look. They've there's been Dylan Moses is going to be drafted next year really high, so that'll 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 keep the, the train rolling there. But I think in the way Alabama's recruited. I don't know that other than Dylan Moses, there's a lot of guys that were on the roster this past year that are that new age, like I'm talking 2019, that new age linebacker that we're talking about with LSU, with one exception. And that was the starting true freshman, Christian Harris, who played freaking cornerback in high school. And so I just wonder if – if Alabama, like if, if Christian Harris continues to evolve and looks good, takes another step next year and is their guy, I wonder if, you know, that starts to shift the way Alabama recruits the linebacker position because they seem to be a little bit more reluctant than some others 
in terms of moving on from that big guys beat up small guys mentality. And that's, look, there's still something to be said for that mentality, but, um, you know, I don't know, linebacker position in particular is, is one of the most stark contrasts in terms of old school versus the new school approach. So I have some thoughts on this, right? I, I used to write an article every year, and I really just kind of copy-pasted it and just changed the names. And it would be, okay, Bama just totally shuts down LSU's run game without having to commit an extra man to the box for the most part. I remember and you it, writing that story. That was good. Every year. And it clicked every year because Bama fans would share it and LSU fans would hate-click it. And I'd have all these screenshots. I have Bama's playing two guys 18 yards off the ball, and they're, and they're still killing Leonard Fournette. The thing is, if LSU is going to be this spread team, who on Alabama's consistent schedule do they need to recruit that style of player to stop? Now, you might say Georgia, but Georgia now with, with Munkin maybe going a little more spready. If LSU is going to be, going to be spreading the ball out and, and, and playing four wide, five wide, then I, there's not this beast da- down, down southwest of you that you have to recruit to stop anymore. Auburn, Auburn is a team that likes to run the ball, but they like to do it with a lot of misdirection. I don't think you have to be necessarily huge at the back of the position to stop them. And, and so I, my guess is that Saban is always going to want to have the biggest backers of his contemporaries, but you don't have to be the biggest by a mile, right? And luckily for Bama, they can get the big guys who can run. I just don't know if their guys need to be, you know, 245 in the middle. They might be 235 in the middle yeah. at, at those off-ball positions. But I think LSU not playing spread anymore or not playing, you know, two back anymore – What's holding them back? It's funny because the irony there is that LSU has always been building their roster to beat Alabama. And Alabama, even though Alabama is sort of the, the team everyone was trying to catch, Alabama was still building their roster to beat LSU and beat the, the other teams in the conference that played like that. Now, Johnny Manziel started to change that a little bit. Johnny Manziel started to force, and, and Ole Miss too, started to force Alabama to evolve a little bit, but still, when you got to those big games, it feels like uh, you know the the bigger, stronger was was still kind of the priority, and you could just you could just beat teams up. Um, I, I it's 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 interesting to, to think about whether now Alabama has to start if you know if LSU can can regenerate what it did last year to to some degree. Like it's it's it, you know, you do wonder now does Alabama start to chase LSU a little bit and just that that balance starts to to kind of trigger just a little bit uh but that's a great that's a great point and it wouldn't be like hey we're never going to recruit a guy that looks like this again it's probably just a shift like how many off-ball linebackers on scholarship does bama carry probably six i would think like something like that you know it doesn't mean all six are going to be in that two and a quarter range to 215 220 range anymore just maybe one more you know just just a little bit of balance there you do have to worry about it, not worry about, but you do have to consider that A&M does run more pro style and they actually will, will, will use a fullback consistently. But until A&M proves that they can score some points against the better teams in the SEC, I don't know that you actually have to worry about them. So, and, that, and that's the like value of it, or that's the, that's the balancing act that's so interesting to me. So, all right, who's, who's chasing who? Who is, who is reacting to who? So, all right, so now LSU spent all this time playing Alabama's brand of football and just trying to beat them with their game. Now they switched to the, to the Joe Brady stuff and blew it out the box. And now, hey, all right, maybe Alabama t- tries to adjust to, to affect LSU. Meanwhile, like you mentioned, all right, now maybe Jimbo settling back into the old school stuff. That, that's going to be where the advantage is. And, and so I think that's what's so fascinating about this is, is – you know, where, who's going to have the roster? And, and I think the fact that different teams are winning in different ways is going to allow maybe an A&M type to all of a sudden like build an advantage by, by just sticking to their guns, maybe in Iowa by sticking to their guns, something like that. So I, this is going to be kind of fun to see how, you know, how teams continue to play cat and mouse with this stuff. And, and it's not – let's also not act like this is the – first time that Alabama has reacted or changed to to their environment right like we we saw them get smaller and more and quicker on the defensive line particularly after the Manziel stuff and, and after after the the old miss losses right K- Kirby Smart was was very vocal about how they had to change the way they played some things and how they had to change some of the body types 
that they recruited at end. Like they, they don't necessarily have Terrence Cody in, anymore in the middle because like Terrence Cody's a liability if you face one of these no huddle teams. I think the specific change here is not a reaction to the no huddle, but it's a reaction to how much the game is is becoming a space game and how teams are actually using the entire width of the field now. Uh, and also, you know, maybe going maybe going a little more vertical than some spread teams might have. So you have to have backers who who, who can turn and really carry guys. If you're going to play that zone, if you're going to play that match zone stuff, uh, which I know is maybe a little bit less prevalent now because of the RPO game, like you have to have backers who can carry a guy for more than five yards, right? Your backer might have to carry a guy 10, 12 yards at times and, and, until the safety picks him up. So I, I think that's very interesting. And another team we're about to talk about here, and I promise this will not be a podcast just about linebackers, is a team that has a lot of guys who already fit that mold, and, and that's Florida. Yeah. And I, the, the thing that I've – my big takeaway on Florida, and look, I'm not surprised. that Florida is also was really well represented here. I kind of mentioned that. But my, the interesting takeaway from Florida was just – I mean, look, that, that the Dan Mullen staff isn't going to get credit for anybody from a recruiting standpoint because they were in recruiting these guys, and that's not their fault. They, they, they couldn't. But when you look at the, the guys that were recruiting these players, uh, Jared Davis, his recruiting – like. The guys that his lead recruiter was Dan Quinn, current head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. His secondary recruiter was DJ Durkin, who would go on to obviously recruit um, or head coach of Maryland, currently at Ole Miss. Same same two primary and secondary recruiters for Alex Anzalone. Uh, and the Vashon Joseph was a, a Randy Shannon find. Um, I just think the and then and a lot of these Florida guys too were underrated uh, three-star types. And so I think it's always interesting, too, as we go through this to, to see sort of who are the tri- staffs we sh- you should trust uh, as, as, as identifying three stars and producing them and who, sh- you know, who maybe should you not. Um, obviously, that's, I don't know how relevant it is with Florida now because all these guys are gone, but those, that crew had a pretty good knack for finding – value three-star prospects and and getting the most out of them let me ask you this any of these guys you think if they came along now would be four-star prospects based on how, how we are are trying to adapt our rating process to, to the trends of the game i think so i mean i think uh you know alex angelone would still be highly rated because we you know we i mean he was nothing changes there but i think jared davis um you know i just wondered like he was a high three-star for us. Antonio Morrison was a high three-star for us. Uh, I would have to think back. Like, I don't know how much we really knew about Jared Davis. I don't know how much we really knew about Antonio Morrison. Like, I would just have to remember the, the profiles for them and why they were three-stars. And, and, you know, I, I do think Jared Davis comes to mind as someone that might have been a little bit like a, just a late find. Um, and, and, you know, maybe we didn't have much to go on other than highlight film, but certainly like the size makes sense. The, you know, the, uh, the, the, the profile makes sense to, to, for us to rank highly, but I don't, I'm not well enough versed in what their high school profile was to be confident saying, yeah, we definitely would have hit them in today's process. My guess is that Morrison, who was like six three, two twenty, two and a quarter already in high school, probably is not the profile of the guy we would have elevated even more, you know, like he. He worked out really well at, at Florida, had some off-field stuff. I think I actually had a, a recent – I was just clicking on his profile here uh, for a bunch of stuff off-field. But I, I think Jared Davis is one who maybe we would have – and maybe Voshan Joseph now with our increased emphasis on, on athleticism. Uh, Michigan makes the list for, for their hybrids, Devin Bush. Devin Bush is a kid I, I was wrong on out of high school, man. He was extremely productive in high school, and he was pretty athletic. I just thought he was sort of maxed out looking, you know, and he was extremely well coached because his dad was a former all-pro safety and was the head coach of his team down there in Florida, and, and they won the state title. And I, I was like, okay, like, wh- how, how much better can he get? You know, he, he looked a little bit maxed out. He actually put on a lot more weight in college and got a lot faster. And maybe that's a credit to Michigan's strength program or his personal work ethic, but he, he like continued to grow in college. It looked like, and ended up being, being awesome. I, I was wrong about him. 
Uh, I, I didn't think he was going to turn out to be a superstar, and he was. Yeah, you weren't alone. I mean, because I, the thing with that, I, I remember Devin Bush specifically because I, we knew how highly Michigan thought of him. And so I was, I was constantly checking back in with our guys in Florida. Like, and, and, and I'm not absolving myself here because I, I was just sort of – I was very like – I couldn't get a good read on the film. I just – I was undecided um, and so didn't have a strong opinion. But I was just constantly checking back in with our Florida guys like, hey, are we sure on this? Like, should we not bump them? Are we sure? Are we sure? And, and they would always be like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just don't – I don't see it. And – and in their defense and in your defense too, like I, I saw, I interviewed him during the lead up to the NFL draft last year in, in Nashville. He still doesn't look like a, like a, like the body type is not unique yeah. at all. <laughs> it's very hard to envision that and be like, Oh yeah, that's got a future first round draft pick. Five eleven, two two and a quarter in high school. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm sure this, this kid's not going to get that much bigger and he's not going to get that much faster and he did both and that that's really to his credit I remember the conversation I I had with the Florida State staff at the time because his dad you know he's obviously a legacy prospect there and was it Devin was it Gill or Josh wasn't there was another guy on his Flanagan team that Florida State wouldn't offer and I think he ended up actually doing fairly well for Michigan as well but they basically were of the mindset that Bush was not good enough to warrant offering his teammate. And they were just coming off a national title, so they, they had a lot of cachet at the time and, and had limited spots. But they would have definitely taken Bush. They did not want to also offer his, his teammate, who Michigan signed uh, that year, and uh, thus he ended up going to Michigan, and they, uh, they missed out on, on an All-American. Yeah. So Josh Uche was, was in that class too, but he was, he was a different high school it was Josh Metellus, Metellus, yeah, out of Flanagan that that also got picked, and then Devin and he ended up Gill, having a good year. Yeah, he did. And then Devin Gill, I think Devin Gill, Devin Gill was the third one out of that high school that they took. Yeah, I think Devin Gill is the one that didn't necessarily do much, but Metellus, yeah, Metellus has a good career. Um, he, that that was a great high school defense, by the way. It also had Stanford Samuels on it. Oh yeah, like I, that I was that. yeah, that was pretty solid. So and then the 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 knock on like. I didn't include Jabril Peppers, and a lot of Michigan people got salty that he wasn't on this list because he sort of was treated as a linebacker. But, and then I didn't include Josh Uche either. But, again, everyone, everyone counts somewhere. So the, both those guys counted at other positions, and, and they ended up uh, doing okay there. So maybe, maybe we should move on to DBU from here. Yeah, let, let's go ahead and do that. So uh, with DBs, the names at the top really probably won't surprise anybody. Ohio State. Florida, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Washington, Utah, uh, and then at the end here, Miami, West Virginia. Uh, any Bart, we don't have to cover each of these, but yeah. any of these really stand out to you? Any, any trends that you've noticed from the tops? So, a couple of things jump out. Um, one, Ohio State. I mean, it's just r- ridiculous. And I know, like, there was actually somebody. Um, there was a coach. That, that reached out to someone in our network and was like, how could you guys have – this was a, a coach in the NFL who was like, how could you guys not have Bama above Ohio State? You know, Ohio State is – Bama has all these all pros. How many does Ohio State have and all this stuff? And it's like, again, it's, this is not really about that. This is more about what the college careers produced. And to have eight guys drafted – uh, from the defensive backfield in the last five years, six of them in the first round is just insane. Like that's, that's ridiculous. So um, that's been really impressive. Obviously Jeff Halfley deserves some credit who's at Boston college now, but really the guy that <clears throat> deserves the most credit at Ohio state in terms of just building that pipeline is the guy that came back. Kerry uh, Coombs, who was at the Titans and is now back at Ohio state. Um, and, and so I think that that's been just what they've accomplished in terms of how they evaluate the position, how they develop the position. They're, you know, man, it's just, you know, can't, can't say enough about it. Um, then a couple of things that, that jump out to me, like I think Clemson's got a better track record than people realize, especially in terms of the way they've, they've developed and utilized the safety position. Washington has got 
I think they only had like six, but I think four of them were in the second round, and there's more coming. So I think Washington is sort of ramping up. Utah, huge draft this year, but I think Morgan Scally, their defensive coordinator, safeties coach, is, is a stud and deserves a lot of credit for how they've developed the position. And then, and then the last one thing that was kind of interesting, like Miami had eight, which was one of the higher totals, but they're almost all late-round picks. And it's, it speaks a little bit to trajectory and just sort of, I mean, Miami is definitely like, you know, right down there in a hotbed of, of DB talent. And they're, they're certainly getting their fair share. But for whatever reason, they're, they're not really pro- producing the, the first, second round guys. Artie Burns snuck in there, I think, in this group as I think maybe a 2016 first rounder. But aside from that, they're pretty much all day three picks. And they, they may have some more guys coming soon, but you're right. They, they really they haven't done that great of a job recently there. If I'm a, a college head coach, after Will Muschamp gets fired, or excuse me, if, if he gets fired whenever, uh, I want Will Muschamp as my defensive coordinator. I think that guy is a great defensive coordinator. Now, his offenses are routinely terrible, but the guy can coach defense and he can scout defensive players. I mean, yeah. he really has a talent to to do that. And I think sometimes people get put in roles that maybe you're not that well suited for them, but like defensive coordinator is one that he just fits perfectly, man. At, at like, again, a lot of these were must champ evals looking at the Gator seal, Keanu Neal, Marcus May, uh, Wilson, obviously everybody knew, knew Wilson was a stud uh, and, and his, his little brother's coming as well. And then Dawson, um, you know, a, a guy like Duke Dawson is sort of an example of one of these hybrid players who's very valuable in, in the modern game because he can play in the slot, he can play safety, he can play some corner, and really has that versatility. You, you can run your nickel and dime packages uh, with him, and, and we're seeing more versatility throughout this list. Did you count uh, Isaiah Simmons as a backer or as a uh, safety, by the way? He's, he was a linebacker, and really okay. was the only reason that Clemson got on that line. Well, not the only reason, but, I mean, he – had he not been in there, Clemson wouldn't have been in the linebacker group. And but between him and Dorian O'Daniel, those are a couple of pretty highly rated guys. But but yeah, we treated we treated Isaiah Wilson as a as a linebacker. Let's uh, let's go to a question here. Uh, I I was saving a lot of these questions for our upcoming listener mailbag, uh, but it, it's relevant to to this, and I, I wanted to kind of pose it here because we are in defensive deep dive week. Question is from Noel Daddy. Uh, great pod and growth potential? Question mark. I uh, love the show, and y'all seem to be top-notch with knowing recruiting and projections. Uh, I'm an FSU grad, and there's a lot of uh, discussion on our undersized corner recruits for the class of 2021. While athletic, which can't be taught, he says, uh, there's concerns that they are, are too small in height and length. To me, everyone wants Stephon Gilmore as the ideal corner, uh, twitchy while having length to cover Julio, A.J. Green, etc. An interesting question I have for you two uh, is growth potential for high school corners. Do you have any data on what growth in height and length occurs for corner recruits? For instance, how many inches in height does a corner recruit grow from his high school junior year to his high school or to his junior or senior year in college? I understand it's case by case scenario and looking at puberty and growth spurts and size of older siblings and parents plays a role, but I'm curious if y'all had any data or thoughts. Yeah, I think um, it's a good question because I kind of noticed that about Florida State's corners here recently too in terms of some of the ones that they're they're taking um i think first of all like to me you always would rat prefer length you always want length um but you know what 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 are the what are the factors that can compensate for length one is ball skills certainly uh, another is speed certainly but like if you got a, f- a fleet of cornerbacks who are all 510 i don't think that that's I don't think that's where you want to be. So I, I always am a little concerned when you're taking like a bu- bunch of those guys, you're not offsetting them with a couple of bigger bodied options. Um, but I think in terms of the growth potential, like I don't necessarily, I, I think you're just guessing if you're, if uh, yeah, there's some certain of outliers where, you, you know, dad's six, five and the kid's young for his grade or whatever, like maybe he's going to grow, but I, I don't think you can ever like assume that the, the, the thing that I would say, and, and I, when I've studied the defensive back, and particularly the cornerback position, is like the thing that I don't think matters really at all is weight. Is if a kid is, if he's 160 pounds and he has length and ball skills, 
I d- like he will add the weight. And in fact, a lot of these guys that go drafted high were in the 160 pound range in high school as cornerbacks, especially the guys with length. And so I think, I think length is more, is, is, is there's, there's importance with length more so maybe than height, but definitely with length. There, there's a really important ball skills. Um, weight is the one that I'm, I'm very forgiving of and I'm very forgiving of guys that are really light that don't that aren't that fast um, because they get stronger and they get faster and as long as they're coordinated and athletic you can kind of count on that a little bit absolutely anecdotally I, I, don't, I don't have hard data on this but I, I do grab sort of what everybody was height and weight wise in high school and, and into college for, for your picks that go really high and we track those those growth spurts and stuff and I will tell you that defensive backs are typically not the guys who have the big-time growth spurts, right? A lot of times it's your your positions where, okay, this kid has potential, and then all of a sudden he goes from a backer to a, a big D end, or you know, he, go, he goes sort of uh, down on the defensive uh, position spectrum. I, I generally think corner is not a position where I would ever want to bet on continued growth in terms of height. Because for the most part, the corners that are going to show up and be rated highly are kids who already have good coordination, you know, and typically coordination, I think, tracks fairly well with, with physical growth and physical maturity, right? It's, it's the guys who are sort of like a baby giraffe still who all of a sudden get a lot bigger and then a lot more coordinated, which to me are generally at your larger positions uh, body-wise than your smaller ones. So I, I don't have very many, if any, examples of corners getting taller in in college, so I, yeah, I don't if you're recruiting so. a five ten corner, I would just assume you, you're going to have yeah. a five ten college player. <laughs> I will <laughs> say with with how much RPO game is being played, I think teams are putting more of an emphasis than ever on the ability to play man to man. So there's a super premium on your long corners who can play man to man. I think there's a little bit of a downgrading of your long corners who used, used to be able to hide to, to play zone or, or match zone stuff somewhat uh, and maybe a little bit more emphasis being being placed on like would a school rather now have a three-star who can actually cover in man-to-man than a three-star with length. You have to balance it like you said though because your your 5'10 guy who can play some man-to-man, his upside is limited. His floor might be higher whereas your, your 6'1 guy who's athletic but doesn't know what he's doing and maybe his agility is not that great yet you know, you have to kind of look and see, are, are we balancing our floor and our ceiling uh, of, of our position room? But here, so here's the, the, the converse of it, though. So if, if I, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of a room full of 5'10", you know, skinny guys, but I am also skeptical of a room full of six foot one, 200-pound corners. Like, j- just because, like, you're going to look pretty good playing cornerback if you're bigger and stronger than everyone in high school and that means seven on seven pads whatever it's how like what's i do think cornerback is a developmental position in a lot of ways and and so how much development and upside is there to go if you're you know if you got a bunch of stiff big bodies and so i think that's why like a balance is important um but i i you know growth growth potential to me is more about weight than it is about height i i totally agree i I wonder if there's something to that too. That may be something I study that it's off season. What is the bust rate for these sort of six foot plus corners who are outside the top like 400, right? You get all these coaches saying, oh, I got this six one corner. We really love him. Like, all right. I mean, do you like him because he looks pretty or do you like him because you actually think he can cover? I, I wonder if at a certain breaking point of talent, maybe going with somebody who's shorter can actually cover might make more sense. Now, clearly, you want the stud who can do both and, and who is you know, 6'1", 6'2". Uh, but the drop-off there, I think, is, is pretty steep. So let's talk about edge here. Uh, some familiar names and, and also some maybe surprising names come out up here. Edge is a position, it's not official, but it's something that we are probably transitioning to at 24-7 sports at some point, right? Like because of all the hybrid defenses being played. No longer will we go weak side defensive end outside backer if you're a like a pass rusher type we're going to call you an edge is that, is that that i guess the best way we can explain it yeah hopefully we get there but yeah i mean that's and and i actually found this to be an interesting uh result uh not surprised that ohio state was one 
But I actually felt like as I was posting it, even Michigan fans were surprised to see Michigan at two. Uh, but Michigan landed at two and right behind Ohio State because in the way I did this, I don't give addition like Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, and Chase Young. Uh, I'll say this: Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa get the same point value as uh, Rashawn Gary and Taco Charlton. So, you know, there's there's clearly like obje- subje- objectively, or I guess subjectively, we would say that the Bosa brothers are better than those guys and probably should be, be count for more, but objectively like they're they're just getting the same point value they're all first rounders so that that might contribute to why it's a little bit closer but also the idea of just what i thought was really interesting about michigan because again ohio state look they've just done they've done such a good job nick bosa joey bosa chase young like all guys drafted within the top three you know what what else can you say uh but i i found michigan landing at two to be interesting because there's such different body types and like Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich play very different positions, but they both are kind of edge players and they, they both count. Um, Josh Uche was a linebacker, um, but really was used. And what really wasn't even a starting linebacker for the most part, but was used as an edge rusher and was outstanding in that role. Um, they, they've just, I, I am impressed with Don Brown's ability to, cater a defense to different skill sets and and find ways to get a lot of different guys to be productive there's no doubt about it i mean they've they've had a such a variety of pass rushers that that's that really does speak to what don brown does and and uh there's that clip of, of or quote of belichick saying uh somebody asked him like who would you get for your defensive coordinator and he was like huh well the, the guy at boston college does a pretty good job and then harbaugh went out and and got the guy at Boston College, we note that uh, that Alabama is slowing down in recent years, but the 2020 recruiting class is coming, including guys like Will Anderson, who is just twitchy. Uh, looking back here at, at Bama's recent recruiting classes, I'm looking at the 2016 class, which is now basically complete as far as their you know NFL prospects. Mac Wilson, who we had as an outside backer, uh, he ends up playing you know inside backer there in the league. Terrell Lewis did. Is Lewis did he get a fifth year or did he, did he get drafted? No, he got he's a third rounder, I think. Okay, got it. Um, they they just they've had a couple guys who maybe didn't didn't pan out there, but but it, if you look at the kind of whole the whole decade for them, they're still going to rate really highly in this because you know you got you got some outside guys Dante and, and and those type of dudes who were you know who were who were pretty special, but they're it's interesting they, that they were slowing down. And still third on the on the list, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're. <clears throat> I mean, look, I mean, like we're we take for granted guys like Terrell Lewis and and Anthony Jennings, um, and so I think that yeah, like they're they're sputtering a little bit by punching out third rounders instead of first rounders, uh, and I don't know that there's. Trying to think, like I don't think there's any like obvious first rounders from this year's team unless someone emerges. But I think a couple years down the road, like you said, I think this 2020 class will produce some of those kind of guys. Well, at least one, and maybe a few. But 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 I've I have a lot of I have a lot of confidence in Will Anderson, their their incoming edge rusher, to be kind of a a monster. I I do too. He is just he is twitchy, and I I was talking to a college coach the other day, and I was like, well, this guy's kind of. You know, he's not maybe not the ideal size for a position. And he's like, dude, the only re- only reason I recruit height is to get the length, right? If this guy's got the length and he do- and he doesn't have the height, I don't care. He'll pl- he'll play lower and still be long, which is very true. Yeah, you know, uh, it's one reason why we at twenty four seven sports do pay attention, you know, to things like wingspan and arm length, yeah. uh, and maybe you know not, are not quite as married to height. One last one I want to hit on here uh, before we throw this to a break is Wisconsin. Wisconsin, like Ohio State, Michigan, Bama, sure, sure, sure. Clemson, yeah, no doubt. Wisconsin, six edge rushers drafted, four Wisconsin natives you have? Yeah, I, I loved that. I loved sort of finding that out. Like the, A, just the, the, the quantity of edge rush talent that Wisconsin's produced is, and when, when you think of linebackers, when I think of linebackers, it's just sort of my mind's eye sort of tr- like goes to off ball, you know, tackle machines. But that's really not where they've made their, their, their money. It's really more of these guys that are just been terrors off the edge. 
Um, but I thought it was really interesting. Like, look, when you think of, when you think of line of scrimmage talent, when you think of edge talent, you think of like these big Southeastern conference footprint players that are these freak that, that, you know, come from Louisiana or Alabama that can go get after the quarterback. Wisconsin, six edge rushers drafted in the last uh, five years, four of them from the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and, and just like really interesting backgrounds. I mean, played, you know, TJ Watt, as you would predict, you know, played kind of everywhere. Um, Zach Bond played quarterback in high school. Um, you know, one of these other guys played running back and I think quarter, a little quarterback too. Like these guys are just, they come from these Wisconsin small schools where they do everything. And then they go to Wisconsin and interestingly enough, like they, they're just sort of athletes in a way. They're like defensive athletes and Wisconsin puts them at edge and man, they just do a great job of producing them. I thought that was, that was really kind of eye opening to, to I me mean, because Wisconsin comes in fourth in the country, yeah. three of the top four. I mean, they, they're tied with Clemson for fourth, but three of the top four, Ohio state, Michigan, Wisconsin come for the big 10. I thought that was surprising. So I, I'm struck by this because like we know that defensive recruiting rankings end up being better than offensive ones, right? And that's – we've said it a lot of times. It, it's – a lot of it's because defense is a little more – not that it's not a team game, but it's a little more of like a collective individual effort, whereas offense is, is more of a, a pure team game. And as such, scheme can seem to impact you a little bit more on offense than it does on defense. Uh, but I wonder if edge rusher is not – one of the positions where you can really sort of scheme guys into stardom, right? Because Wisconsin is very creative with, with, with how they get rushers freed up, and they do a good job. Not that these guys aren't athletic, because they, they certainly are. Michigan in the same way here. I mean, obviously, Rashawn and, and Chase and Josh and, and, and Charlton are all diverse body types, like you noted. Uh, but some of these dudes, I, I wonder if there's a spot on defense that maybe you can scheme somebody up. Like, D-tackle, I don't think you can fake it. And after this ad break, We'll talk about D-Tackle, so let's go ahead and, and hear a message from our sponsors real quick. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. All right, we're back, dude. And Barton, it is time to talk about the Big Uglies. Uh, this is where, for the most part, all the names on this list are going to be pretty obvious. And then there's one that I, I think we have to talk about. Yeah, so the, the top five was Alabama, Clemson, NC State, Ohio State, then Florida. And keep in mind, D-line is basically we're including – you know, four I like three, four defensive end types, uh, three techniques, and then nose tackles. And so, like, we're excluding edge players. And so, Chase Young doesn't count for Ohio State. And that that sounds may, may sound off putting to someone to say D line U. Uh, so maybe it's interior D line U. I don't know. But ultimately, like, we're kind of defaulting to the terminology and vocabulary that NFL seems to be defaulting towards. But Alabama was sort of lapped the field. And that's, that's not surprising, uh, except for the fact that, look, I mean, in the same way that, like this past year, I guess, is the only year, just, you just weren't as quite as, it didn't feel as dominating of a defensive front. Quentin Williams two years ago certainly did feel that dominating. Uh, but in terms of who is doing this regularly the most, Alabama is, is, still, is still the team. Um, you know, Clemson goes without saying, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. And then the big one was, was NC State, and who had four guys all within the first three or four rounds and 
all pretty much recruited by Ryan Nielsen, who's now the defensive line coach of the Saints. But don't expect it to be just sort of a flash in the pan because NC State's got really good defensive linemen on their roster right now that are young. And so I think that's going to be a continued strength for that program as well. I'm going to throw a name at you. Do you remember the kid at the Army Bowl who got his shirt torn off? Or not Army Bowl, but, but at the Army Combine uh, several years ago who, who got his shirt torn off. He, he was playing D-line. He had kind of a like, like a curly hair, ponytail, and he was just dominating oh, everybody. I think it was a Josh, was it Josh Clark. It was, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, was, it was Josh Clark, and I was like, who the hell is this kid? And then I saw him like a couple months later at a camp because I, I, on my roster, he didn't have a number because he didn't have a jersey. And I was like, oh, that dude. NC State signed that guy. Yeah. Like, they, they've got dudes there at D-Tackle, and they do a great job with it. Um, Ohio State, you mentioned here, three of the four defensive ends moved inside, plus Devon Hamilton, who switched from off to, uh, to offensive guard, or from offensive guard, which is pretty rare, by the way, to go from O-line to D-line. Yeah, I think he played D-line some as a, as a senior, but he was, he was definitely a primarily an offensive lineman, at least up through his junior year. And so, again... That just speaks to Ohio State's uh, development and, and identification. A, to find, you know, to, to take a three-star offensive lineman and, and, and move them to, to defense. And then, again, their, their other three guys were highly rated players, so whatever, but they took them as, as a, to, from edge, kicked them inside in college, and produced, you know, early-round draft picks out of them. Um, so I think that was that was interesting. And then Florida, like the only reason Florida made this list actually is another one. Talk about the evaluation process is is Taven Bryan coming out of Wyoming, three star kind of kid that played offensive lineman, played defensive line, like was and and came to Florida and just was really athletic, like an elite athlete on the line of scrimmage. And that's like that's such a a recurring theme in all this stuff is just athleticism, like. Yeah, where's the athleticism? If you know, find athleticism, whatever it looks like, and then and then build your defense around it. Yep. If you get that clay, good good coaches will mold it. Uh, so if you've listened to us this far, we're almost an hour into this show. We're gonna go ahead and give you a special treat. We're gonna assume you're you're a pretty big diehard fan of college football. If, if you're 55 minutes in with us, let's go ahead and drop a preview of the ratings that come out on Wednesday and, and give a little sneak peek here. And we're going to start with some dudes who, who moved up in our ratings based on our deep dives. And the first, let's, let's go ahead and start with, with, uh, with, with Tate Williams. Yeah, so Tate Williams, I love this kid. Um, this is a classic quarantine find, all right? He had, had no profile a month ago on our site. He was uh, – Baylor found him, and he landed a Rutgers offer and, like, a couple of small school offers. But Baylor took his commitment. Uh, but this is a kid who's 16 years old right now. He'll be he'll be 17, I believe, as a as 17 as a senior. I, I think maybe if not 17 as a as a freshman in high school or a freshman in college, but he's young for his grade. Point being, he's got 11 inch hands. He's got six foot nine inch wingspan. He's got six four, 264 pounds, and all this stuff is like he's sending he's sending like pictures of him getting measured, and he's got he's a starter on the basketball team. He is a 50 foot plus shot putter, 166 foot plus discus guy. And he plays in a town of like 200 people. And he's a West Texas kid. No one's going to see him. No one's seen him before. So there's no way to like find this guy where he might be, might've been found in the spring. Baylor just sort of has, does all this digging on him, gets these verifieds on him and, and takes his commitment because his film is even like, it's like a wing T type of stuff. Like he's just, you know, four-point stance, firing off the ball kind of stuff. But he's so athletic in it. And so, to me, I thought this was everything about what we're looking for in terms of, like, finding these guys that would typically go undervalued. He's a stud to me. And I think it says something about Dave Aranda's ability to adjust to recruiting at Baylor versus recruiting at LSU. LSU doesn't have to go looking for guys like that. <clears throat> LSU can find the guys that are, you know, ready-made. Baylor is, is not – a blue blood in the, in the dictionary definition of it. Like Baylor has to be a little like they're, they're the Baylor polo ain't beating the Texas polo when they walk in the door, you know, it's from when the coaches walk in the high school. So yeah, be, be resourceful. I think Dave Aranda show he's able to kind of put his Wisconsin and Utah state glasses on and, and, and take a kid like this who might be a little bit more of a, of an upside projection. 
All right, so Barton, let's go down our list of when we miss on a kid, like we, we give him a two-star and, and, rating. And, and the preview on that, by the way, is he will be a top 247 kid to, uh, when those rankings Ooh, look at that. That, that is taking a stance. So when, when we do our, our look back, why do we miss on kids who we gave two stars to? The most common reasons, right? You, you just say check when I hit one of these. Juco, other, other sport uh, other than football is his primary no, but he does excel at, at, at two other sports here. Actually, not you, from could, a you could maybe country. say check because his also pedigree. His parents are uh, former All-American throwers in college. And so he probably okay. was a thrower first before he was a football guy. I don't know uh, that for sure. But yeah, point being, you know. Uh, multiple high schools, high school injury history, position change, uh, outlier physical change, remote high school? Yes. Uh, small high school? Yes. Yeah. Young, younger than grade level? Yes. Yeah. So uh, this is a kid who, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, we never see. He gets, he gets, or we see just very slightly, he gets a two star grade and ends up becoming a first rounder. Who knows? But he does seem to check a lot of these boxes for a guy who maybe, you know, hasn't been super accomplished in football yet. And then, uh, you know, all right. So we're going to, we're going to run through this because Barton is, is getting, getting the hook here. They're, they're going to call in the lefty from the pin. <laughs> I right. forgot. Every guy you're looking at my video, yeah, I got a little, I got a little knock on the door there, but I'm good. I'm good. But are they up from their naps? Uh, that they're they're back in the house, which means Ooh. all hell's breaking loose. <laughs> no doubt. All right, so uh, Nate Wiggins, really stud corner out of Georgia, we like. Seems like the West Coast schools got got on him a little more than the Southeastern schools. Maybe a good reminder that uh, the internet. Uh, and in quarantine means everybody's the same distance away from everybody when there's no visits going on. Yeah, but also that's a kid that was, I think, you know, probably the the local programs were looking to get him on campus, and they probably liked him. Get him on campus. The the luxury wasn't there for the out of state schools to pursue him in that way. They had to if they were going to get him get, have a chance down the road. They got to get on them early, and so now they're sort of getting the payoff of that. But that kid, I think, is a stud. He'll be a top one hundred commit or recruit for us in, in the rankings update. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how much how much attention and love he gives to those southeastern schools once they decide to offer it and, and really go all in on him with Oregon and USC on him. Uh, Jordan Poole, linebacker out of North Carolina or South Carolina? North Carolina, North right? Carolina kid. Loaded year in North Carolina. Charles Power special all, all day right here. He brings him to us, just loves the guy. And like, man, this is what these you know 120 tackle linebackers in college oftentimes look like. He's going to be able to stay on the field for all three downs. He's not. Not huge, but size-wise, he's got enough, we think, combined with, with the athleticism and the physicality, right? If you're going to be small, you can't be soft. And he, he, the, Jordan Poole, he wipes guys out and, and, and shows he's willing to take on blocks. I mean, he obviously can run around him with the athleticism. This is a kid I think we threw on, and we're like, damn, if we can get any kind of verified size on him, he's, he's a no-doubt kid who, who we're going we're gonna to move up pretty high. And it looks like he ended, he ended up in the top 100. Yeah, he's a no doubt. He's I mean he's like a no brainer. Like he's a he is a guy that was, you know, running back safety. Are we recruiting? Are we as athlete and safety as a running back? What are we doing? When you just sort of like refocus as him as a linebacker, he's a no doubt kid. Just uh, and and we've gotten off the charts feedback from you know programs with insight on him as well. Let's go ahead and uh, have you read the next name because I have no <laughs> idea how to say this. I, I don't know if I'm saying this right either, but Tommy. Aking Basote, I'll say, is Ooh. is a first year football player. He will be a top two hundred type of player. He's out of uh, he's out of Maryland, maybe maybe DC, DMV. We'll call it. I think he's out of I think Maryland officially. Um, but this is a kid whose film is awesome. Uh, we we don't really know how big he is. We found that out. We got some verified size. It's exactly the way you want a defensive line's verified size size to be right now. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Christian Barmore, who's going to be a stud for Bama, uh, who was a first-year player in high school. Uh, just, you know, in, in terms of physical traits, like this is a kid out of Maryland that, hey, some schools are going to be slow on because I think the game tape can show some some moments of, of you know, like head scratching because first-year playing. But in terms of talent, this kid's elite. No doubt. And then – the last one here, uh, Aiden Kelly. This is this is this is a Barton special, right? Like you 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 found him, I think. Yeah, I mean he. This is a again a classic quarantine kid. He was uh, he's a two way two way player. He's a fifty foot shot putter. He's got really good basketball film. Not that he's playing. He's, the kid's two hundred eighty pounds, so it's not he's not playing above the above the rim. But his feet are 
fantastic. And this is, so this is what I thought was really interesting too. Like we, he's got kind of a middling offer list. He has some decent schools here and there, but you know, and, t- and trying to track down opinions on this kind of kid, make sure that I wasn't just all alone on an Island. The, the feedback was sort of consistent with everyone really likes him, but sort of like, you know, we don't know if we're the only ones. And so I think this is the type of guy that where he go into more camps where he getting, if you got that one big offer, I think you get the, all the big offers. And I just, uh, he is, you know, he could be an offensive guard or he could be a defensive tackle. I think he's a defensive tackle, but he's a top two, four, seven kid for us uh, tomorrow as a guy that was, you know, he's out of Oklahoma, just not off the beaten path. Um, I think he's a, I think he's the real deal. And, just to let you all in on how the rankings call went on this guy, Barton brought him up and we're like, damn. And then we were like, Ooh, what, what classification does he play in Oklahoma? And it turns out he, he plays one a ball. I was like, all right, how big is this kid really? Cause if he's got verified size, he's kind of a no doubter for us. Mm-hmm. And did we ever get verified? It looks like TCU yeah. is, is in on him. We got verified. I think he's, he is, a little under six, three, 275 pounds. Like he's six, two and a half, 275. That's cool. I mean, he's the kind of kid where listed 6'3", 260, you just worry that he's 6'1", 250. But if, he, right. if he's verified, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the movement skills, the athleticism, the, the physicality, they're all there, man. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. We, we appreciate all y'all listening to the, uh, to, to the Barton and Bud show here. Quick note at the end, 23 of 28 quarterbacks rated four stars or better on the composite are currently committed, so be sure to check out Steve Wiltfong's uh, quarterback dominoes piece that he runs every month and uh, he'll have some more stuff on that some more stuff on miller moss uh, make sure you check out the new college football recruiting show by 24 7 sports having all, all of our, our regional and national experts on there are, have you been on that yet or, or are you lined up for this week no not yet there's a hey, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of expertise uh in line so i'm i'll uh when my number's called i'll be ready if you're listening to this show on, on, on the website, we, we love that you go to 24-7 Sports. We love it even more if you subscribe. So hit that Apple Podcast button. Hit that Spotify button. Give us that subscription, that five-star review, that rating. And, man, with the pace we're on, we'll probably have to do a mailbag show uh, next uh, next week. And to be honest, I don't mind that because I'm not really sure if we can come up with a ton of topics for next week without a mailbag. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Bring it on. for this yeah if is the most original and heartfelt movie in years magic like this comes around once in a lifetime this friday experience it with your whole family can we do it again if ready pg